Lord, we pause. We prepare our hearts to hear your word. We open ourselves up to your instruction, your correction, your conviction, your encouragement. We need to hear from you. A fresh word, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. This is week three of our Ephesians study. We're studying that letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus to encourage them uh, to, to be happy in Jesus, bottom line. Uh, he just spells out what we have gained in Christ and then talks about how to live this new Christian life. And we are still in the first 14 verses. And we have been unpacking the blessings that we have in Jesus. Praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we've seen those blessings are, number one, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Before he ever said, let there be light, he chose you predestined you for adoption into his family with all the privileges. Number two, he has redeemed us from spiritual slavery, set us free to live holy and blameless lives, and let's not squander that freedom that we have in Christ. Thirdly, he has revealed to us his big plan, which is to unite all things in Christ, to reconcile all the brokenness, to heal it in Jesus Christ, to the praise of his wisdom and his glory. And finally, he has sealed us with his spirit. His Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, and that is God's brand of ownership, and it's a guarantee that all that God has promised us, we will get. And Paul has been just uh, enthralled with the blessings that we have in Christ, and so he has modeled for us worship and called us into worship. And, and my heart, and hopefully your heart, has been inflamed to greater worship uh, through this study so far. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians, because today we're going to be zooming in on verse 13. Now, the Bible is very clear that God wants all people on the planet to enjoy blessings in Jesus Christ. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God calls all people into fellowship with himself. But the Bible is also clear that not everyone is going to enjoy those blessings because it requires faith. You must come to a point in your life where you say, I believe in Jesus and I'm making him the savior of my life. Now, in verse 13, Paul talks about the process whereby people get saved. And I want to drill down on this a bit. We read, in him, that's Jesus, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's the process of, of salvation, how people get saved. They hear the gospel, and they believe it. And then God honors that belief with the gift of his Holy Spirit. They become Christian people. And I want to unpack this process a bit. First off, what is that word of truth? that gospel. 
Well, it's the gospel of salvation, which means people need saved, right? And what is it that we need saved from? It's very important that we have it crystal clear in our minds what it is that people are getting saved from. A lot of lonely people in the world, but the gospel doesn't save us from loneliness. There are a lot of hurting people in the world. Gospel doesn't save us from hurt and hardship. Uh, There are a lot of poor people in the world. The gospel doesn't save us from, from material poverty. And on and on. What is it? Uh, what is it that we are being saved from? And the biblical answer is we're being saved from the wrath of God that rests upon us for our sins. We're being saved from the coming judgment. We're being saved from hell itself. And we need to understand that because if uh, if we offer the wrong salvation and people jump on that, oh, Jesus can give me great community in the church. Jesus can... Uh, empower me to be a better person. These are all things that our Heavenly Father does for us uh, as Christians, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is we can have our sin debt canceled in Jesus Christ. Here's a great summary of the the gospel's effect in our lives. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. The gospel means good news, by the way. The gospel is the good news that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been saved from condemnation. You've been saved from the wrath of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, Paul summarizes the gospel content this way. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500, then to James and all the apostles, and then last of all, as to me, and that's Paul. The gospel is all about what Jesus did on the cross, because it was on the cross that Jesus dealt with the sin problem. When he hung upon the cross... He took the penalty we deserved, because we're the sinners, on his own body, and he died and he paid the penalty for our sin. And then he burst forth from the grave, defeating the power and penalty of sin in our lives. So what is the word of truth? What is the gospel of salvation? It's the good news that although we are sinners in Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness, we can be reconciled to God, and the penalty of sin and the power of sin is broken in our lives so that we can be forever, live forever and ever with God in heaven. That's, 
That's the good news. That's what we as a church proclaim. That's what people need to hear. People need saved. There are lots of things they think they need saved from, but what the Bible says we really all need saved from is sin. And that's what Jesus has come to do. So the Ephesians become Christians upon hearing and believing in this word of truth, this gospel of salvation, which means that Christian people were being faithful to share, right? Don't miss what's behind the scenes. How did the Ephesians hear about Jesus? Because other, because Christian people, the church, had been faithful in the mission to get out the gospel, which means individual Christians had kind of swallowed the fear of, of evangelism, and they'd done it anyways. Despite the potential for backlash and persecution and rejection, they said, I, I possess the good news of salvation, and I'm going to share it with my friend. I'm going to share it with my neighbor. I'm going to share it with my classmate and my coworker and my family because they need to hear this. And somewhere along, somewhere along the line, a Christian person had shared with these Ephesians, probably many Christian people had shared with them, the gospel, and they believed. Now, God has chosen to get out the gospel through human instruments. He, he seems to actually have limited himself to getting out the gospel through human people. It's people who tell people about Jesus. An illustration of this is the conversion of Cornelius, who is a Roman soldier, God-fearing. He prays, gives alms, and God sees his piousness, sees his almsgiving, sees his his faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so he sends an angel. And you would think, this is recorded in Acts, you would think, okay, the angel will tell him about Jesus, because that's kind of streamlined, simplest. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he hear, believe when an angel tells him? Instead, the angel says, send for Peter. And it's Peter who has to come and tell him the gospel of salvation, and he believes God has chosen in his own wisdom to get the gospel out through people. And so we, the people of God, have to be faithful with the message that he has entrusted to us. Paul in Romans says this, Romans chapter 10 verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. Everyone, and that includes you, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful promise. But then Paul asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? One of the things I want to do today is send you. Send you into the world with the gospel so that people can believe in Jesus and call on his name and get saved.
Now, sometimes we let ourselves off the hook and we say, well, the command to take the gospel out into the world was given to the apostles. That was, that's their job. Or, and now it's, now it's the job of church leaders, pastors, elders, people with titles, missionaries. They're the ones who go out and preach the gospel. But I don't do that. I'm just kind of the run-of-the-mill, every, everyday Christian. That's not my responsibility. Let me suggest to you, actually, assert that the Bible teaches it is, in fact, every Christian's calling to preach the gospel. Now, preaching might not look like this. It might not, you know, be on a stage delivering a sermon. Your preaching might be in your backyard around the campfire as you share what God has done in your life and you, you testify to how thankful you are to be a child of God or, or you, you ask your friend, may I pray for you and you demonstrate a belief that God hears our prayers in Jesus and answers them. And so preaching can take many different forms but it is preaching because it is proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ and all Christians have been called to that great task. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read about a persecution breaking out in Jerusalem, scattering the Christians. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and the average run-of-the-mill Christians got scattered. Verse 4, now those who were scattered were the apostles, not part of that group, they're still back in Jerusalem. So we're talking about the everyman Christian. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, the apostle Peter encourages every Christian to prepare to share. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter is writing not to the other apostles, not to church leaders, but rather to the elect the people of God in general. And so, hopefully, we will all be asked to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Why? Because we're living hope-filled lives in front of other people. They see it, and they're compelled to ask, why don't you live the way I live? Why do you have a life full of hope? And we need to be prepared you don't want to be scrambling right then to prepare. You want to prepare in advance so that you can give a defense. That you can, you can give an answer for, for the reason. So, all Christians are encouraged to prepare to share because the expectation is they will be sharing. Also in that same letter, Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 9. Actually, I think this might be the strongest proof that every Christian is to be involved in this task of preaching the gospel. He writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession. He's talking here about the church, the people of God, collectively, all Christians. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called his people to proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim, that, that's using words. It's proclaiming the excellencies of God. And how can we possibly do that without talking about the gospel? The fact that God loved us so much that in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to earth. He lived a righteous life without sin. And yet he's the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And, he, and then God brought him forth from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And somebody he's going to come back and claim us and we're going to get to live with him forever. Our God is excellent. The people of God to a man, to a woman, to a child are to be proclaiming the excellencies of their God. And of course, that includes the gospel Yes, we are to live lives that evidence the gospel, but at times we have to use words because the gospel is content. So prepare to share. You, as much as I, am called into this great task. The forms will look very different, but we all need to be on mission. That verse goes on, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those who have been privileged to believe become responsible to share. If you have been privileged to believe in the gospel, if you have been privileged to be saved, you are now responsible to share with other people, how they too can be saved. It's just a clear teaching of, Bible, of the Bible, and it actually is very logical, right? Of, it's an of course. And so, we're going to put it in the first person, and we're going to own this. And I invite you to say this out loud in faith. I understand that it causes anxiety within our hearts, but we want to say, because this is the truth... I am called to preach the gospel. I am called. That's you. You own that. So take a moment. What does that mean for you? So by faith, you have just owned that calling. And yet at the same time, you might very well be feeling the, the tension, the fear of evangelism. It's a scary task. It is a scary task. We know that when we invite people to become Christians, that it can alter the dynamic of our relationship. They might not hear the good news as good for them. They might be angry with us. In some parts of the country, it can result in being kicked out of your family. It can even result in put you in jail. Christians 
because of evangelism throughout history, have been killed. It's just no easy task, and let's not per pretend that it is. It is a, a, a fearful task. <laughs> Why do we do it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations, the love of Christ compels us. And he's talking here about the fact that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For the love of Christ compels us. Yes, we are all afraid to share the gospel. But it is love that overwhelms that fear. It is love that compels us to take the risk. To face the fear and press through it and be faithful to the calling. Let the love of Christ compels us. We have a love for God. We want God to be worshipped by everyone on the planet. And that doesn't happen until people uh, receive the gospel, submit themselves to Jesus. And so in our love, in our zeal for the Lord and for the Lord's glory, that motivates us to evangelism and also our love for our fellow man. Because we believe that the greatest suffering is eternal suffering. The greatest need is the need for salvation from sin. And so you say to your dear friend, you know what? You need Jesus. Implication, you're a sinner. Without Jesus, you're going to hell. That is not always well received. But if you keep your mouth shut and never say that, how are you going to feel? How are you going to feel in eternity when, when the, reality, the spiritual realities are shining brightly? You, you will regret that you didn't take the risk. So it's love that compels us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, Christ's Sufferings on the cross are sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. But God has called his people to take on suffering, to get the gospel out, to get out the news of what he has done for us. And the world will not be one for Christ without God's people choosing to suffer. Do you, this, you, we've got to get this. If your vision of the Christian life does not involve suffering, it's not a complete vision of the Christian life. God did not save us so that we can be safe and comfortable. He saved us so that we can be on mission with Him. And according to the, the words of, of Paul in his own example, uh, this guy, he said, I'm beaten, I'm shipwrecked, I get imprisoned, I go hungry for your sake. I'm doing that so I can get the gospel out. Is he the only one Christ, uh, Christ has called to? No. Jesus said, I, I, 
pick up your cross and follow me. It's just part of the a part of the Christian life. And we have to we have to own this and grapple with it and then let it motivate us as we uh, to push through the fear and to share. So let love for God's glory and, and for our fellow man overcome our fear of sharing. I want to talk about three uh, concepts that are important in this whole idea of evangelism. Uh, the first is tell your story. Now, some people say, I'm afraid to share because what if I get, you know, I don't know enough. And people will ask me questions I don't have answers to. You know your story. You can share your story uh, of God at work in your life. You don't have to go to school to master your story. You know it better than anyone else. And so just share your own story. How do people argue with a story? Stories are powerful. So at a, at, at a minimum, share, share your story. And take some time to think deeply about God at work in your own life, what he means to you. Think about how you might want to share that with somebody. That's your preparation. And tell your story. Very powerful. Uh, invest and invite. Here's another key idea with evangelism. Invest and invite. Uh, you, you're investing in your relationship. And it just, you win the right to be heard. And so, one of the things I think we all need to commit ourselves to is not only having Christian friends. If the only friends in our lives are Christians, you know, who, who are we influencing? So be, be building relationships with, with non-Christians because when you do that, then it's, a, it's more natural to, to love them and share with them uh, the love of Christ. Another key idea is come and see. Uh, some Christians are most comfortable with the come and see approach to evangelism. Hey, just come with me to church. My church is, you know, playing softball in the park this summer. Come with me and hang out. Uh, come to my Bible study. Come meet my, you know, hang out with my Christian friends. And so you're, in, you're inviting people to come witness the Christian community, um, relating to each other, loving each other, worshiping God. Come to a place where the gospel will be proclaimed. You know, one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples, was one to the Lord through a come and see approach. Nathaniel, come and see the one who has told me everything about my life. So that's a, the come and see approach. You might be more comfortable with that than yourself, you know, rolling out the uh, four spiritual laws or the Romans road, and that's okay. Now, it is important in evangelism that we only take responsibility for our part in the mission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 6, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul understand, understood. At the end of the day, it is, it's God who brings people to faith in Christ. My job, your job, is to just be faithful to uh, preach the gospel, to share, faithful to share. 
But they have, they have a responsibility to believe the person with whom you're sharing, and it's God who brings the spiritual life anyways. So don't take emotional ownership for stuff that's not yours. If somebody, if you are, you can give the best possible presentation of the gospel and still hear no thank you. Uh, you we should grieve when our friends say no thank you to Jesus Christ because of the spiritual implications. But that's not our responsibility. Okay? Just so only take responsibility for your role in, uh, in the spiritual, in the salvation process. Let me share with you the spider web principle. Uh, rarely, here it is, rarely do people put their faith in Christ the first time they hear the gospel. Uh, usually it takes many encounters with the gospel before somebody says, uh, I believe in Jesus. So it's like, it's like a spider web. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege when you get to be the one to witness them coming to Christ, share that joy, talk to them about next steps with, of following Jesus Christ. What a privilege. I pray that you get to experience that. I pray for it myself because I love it when that happens. But, but probably more often than not, uh, we are just putting another, uh, another little web uh, strand in the in the web we uh, there's watering there's planting there's watering and then ultimately it's God who gives the increase so be constantly sharing about Jesus with the people around you and uh, God will use that and someday someday when we get to heaven we will we will see the full picture we'll see how God used our faithfulness and we'll be rewarded for that In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The gospel of salvation becomes the gospel of your salvation when you believe. This is important. <clears throat> the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But it's not saving you until you believe. The gospel of salvation must become the gospel of your salvation. And that happens when you believe. Now in chapter 1, Paul has already talked about God choosing us. Before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption. God has chosen you in Christ Jesus. Wonderful truth. And now here he says, you got saved... All the, you entered into the blessings, you, you became a Christian when you chose Christ. And these truths are held in tension in Scripture. When, when did I get saved? When did you get saved? Not before the foundation of the world. Not when God chose you. You became a child of God. You got saved. You, became, you were placed in Christ when you believed the gospel. And these truths are held in tension. Yes, God chooses us. We must also choose him. And the church must be faithful to preach the gospel. Because how are they supposed to believe if they don't hear? Have you chosen Jesus 
as your personal Savior? If the answer to that is no, that's your next step. Every relationship has a beginning. You've heard the gospel preached today. You have a choice. Will I believe or not believe? Don't be one of those who hears the gospel and then walks away. Because then it's not saving you. I want to end with a challenge to the Christian. Many people throughout history have heard a message like this, and the Lord stirs in their hearts. And they say to themselves, what more noble task can I put myself to? People need to hear this good news. People all over the world need to hear this. I'm willing to go. Here I am, Lord, send me. And God has, has stirred in people's hearts to get up and go across the world to share the gospel with people far off. God has called people to uh, re, rearrange their whole lives so that they can be more on mission than ever before. And so God might be stirring in your heart. And my challenge to you is this. Will you write a blank check to God? A blank check. You just say, cash it however you wish, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. You have blessed me so greatly in Jesus Christ. With every spiritual blessing, my eternity is secure. My eternity is so rich. And I've got a, 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 just a, a small window of time. I don't even know how much longer you have allotted to me. And I want it to count. I want to use every year I've got left, every, every ounce of energy that I have left, getting out this good news that can alter people's eternal destiny. What better use of my time, what better use of my energies, what better use of my finances than that, Lord? Blank check. Here it is. And I don't know how, I don't know how God will cash it. <laughs> he might say, stay right where you are, be faithful. And he might say, make a radical change. Go across, go across the world. I don't know what he's going to call you into. But it starts with saying, here I am. I am your servant. How do you want to use me? Take a moment to, to in your hearts, write that check to the Lord. And let's pray and I'll call back the band. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call upon one in whom they have not believed? How can they believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches to them? And how is somebody going to preach to them unless they've been sent? God, you have given your church the privilege and the responsibility to get out the gospel. We commit ourselves afresh as a church to getting out the gospel. 
And individually, Lord, stirring in our, in our hearts, how do you want to use me? Whom do you want me to talk to? Whom do you want me to say, come and see? Who am I the appointed evangelist so that they can be saved? Lord, we don't want to miss any more of those opportunities. We want to be faithful to the calling. So here I am. Blank check. How do you want to cash it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.